Hey, you're listening to Block Thinking with Werner Puchert and Jonathan Gall. Yeah, that still gives me goosebumps, dude. <laughs> dude, I had to I had to start a show with that, man. Um, I sent you I sent you a tweet yesterday, um, and this is uh, this is a this is a South African musician called yeah. uh, Johnny Glick. Johnny Clegg, sorry, and. Um, I remember when I grew up, and we talk about it a lot, right? So I grew up in uh, apartheid South Africa. And what made this guy quite unique is that um, he went out to the townships and he started mixing with people because like black and white never hang out. Like we had the group areas acts and stuff. And he kind of just went against that because I think he was interested in, in you know, how other people were doing stuff, specifically around music. And um, he started digging into these musical backgrounds, started mixing like his influence with like Zulu and all these like South African sounds. And he created like a whole following, dude. Um, and the reason I play his music today, uh, maybe the first yeah. thing is that we're probably <laughs> going to get hit by copyright. <laughs> but um, no. yeah, he died a day or two ago, right? And a recording of this, at the recording of the show. And uh, the specific song, dude, um, I played to my my little Polish Polish boy from time to time, and I oh, tell you, like when I was playing it to you, like shit. I got goosebumps, man. I'll post a link to the show notes to this. Um, he was because he traveled yeah. the world writing this music, and uh, they called him the White Zulu. And um, at some stage, um, you know, he was. Uh, I mean, this specific song also is about Nelson Mandela when he was uh, locked up in prison in South Africa, and then. Uh, he was on stage and this is after Mandela's release and like democracy came to South Africa and he was on stage and I think in France singing this specific song and there's a YouTube clip of this and then I think like four minutes into this song and I posted it on the Facebook group too um, Nelson Mandela like walks onto the stage to surprise him dude fuck man oh, I yeah. like <laughs> for me like as a South African like that that's still like that for me is huge and uh I still, I still play that song to my kid, um, you know, and sometimes I miss my old country, we do, you we know, do. so that is, a, a th- we do, dude, and it's kind of like, I don't know, like for me, it's even more poignant in a way, like both of them are now, like have passed on, right, have made the crossing, and um, if I look at some of the things happening in the world now, like if you, if you stupid like me, you hang out and, and read news to way too much. Man, I think we need a little bit more Johnny yeah, Clegg I mean, around. When you told me a South African musician died, I didn't directly make the connection. Um, the thing is that Johnny Clegg was huge also in the Caribbean. Uh, I grew up listening to his music. Wow. So it, it kind of hit me too. <laughs> yeah. Wow, dude. Crossing yeah. flipping boundaries, man, and, 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 and continents. That's insane, dude. What, I mean, he rep- how cool he, is that he connection? It and he still represents hope, you know, especially in a country like um, places like mine that are really mixed 
I mean, I have, I have all kind of ethnicities in my family. I have, um, I have some white grandparents. I have Indian people in my family. I've obviously have um, black people, African people. So for us, having people like Johnny Clegg, like Nelson Mandela, while crossing for boundaries, it's huge because it means that our family means something. See what I mean? It's like we are this, we might look different, but we are the same. Exactly, dude. And we, we're all interesting. I think, I mean, I don't want to sound like, like sometimes when I say these things, like it comes out wrong, right? But um, when I grew up, uh, sometimes some of the exposure I had is that, um, you know, I think it's kind of the helping hand yeah. material, right? I'm going to go out, I'm going to help some people or, you know, they need our help. And I think what, what people like Johnny Click did is that um, it wasn't about helping anybody. It was about mm. sharing. And, um, and, what, and it's, it's through him, dude, that, um, you know, I started to really get a, like a, a better understanding of the culture of people who were living right next door yeah. to me, right? Um, like the Zulu culture, the language, and how amazing that could be. I mean, there's clips that you can go look at where he actually shares the stage with like, like, a, a, like a guitarist from, uh, that influenced him, for example. And the skill and uh, just the, the, the sound that, that comes out of that guitar from this guy is something that I didn't necessarily would have been exposed to. And, and like, I think this is also, dude, like, like doing this podcast with you, right? Like we're completely from different backgrounds. And that's kind of an example of that is like getting together and sharing this, this, you know, like things are just more interesting when you have yeah, interesting I mean, people that's around. Something that I uh, really enjoyed um, in our discipline of design is that we really work hard to understand each other, to understand our clients, to be in their, in their place. And I do think that I didn't come to that job uh, randomly. I do think that it's something that I had to do all my life, understand the other point of view, being, yeah, that's definitely, especially when you have, you know, the crazy uncle and people in your family with all kinds of extremist views. I mean, extremist uh, opinions, <laughs> just kind of like that. And <laughs> yeah. then you, you live in other countries, you move and, you know, the, the mind hive, the mindset change and you need to still adapt to it. You need to understand how those people think it might seem weird to you or you might see okay that's not normal but what is normal basically is it what i was the context i was born in so the view set that my parents and my culture gave me or is it theirs so how do i link those and how do i become a bridge between yeah. those cultures because if i can't become a bridge then i will be broken so i need to make a link and it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work about yourself, um, about uh, your view on humanity in general and what is being a human. You know, one of the sentences I... Uh, um, one of the questions, sorry, not sentence, I ask to myself very often is, what is it to be an adult? What is it to be somebody that live in a social community 
with responsibilities towards his family, but also his environment, either the human environment, the animal one, and the physical one. Um, so what is it to be yeah. a good neighbor? You know, before saving the world, how do I become somebody good for the people living next to me? How do they appreciate me and how do I appreciate them? I mean, it's, I mean, it, it means, I mean, I feel, I, um, I felt, sorry, it moved me. The death of Johnny Clegg moved me a lot. I mean, the death of Mandela was hard for me. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, he, he is my hero. I have his book and I recommend his book. Yeah. And what he did is, wow. I'm, I mean, I have no words for that. Oh, I'm getting emotional, right? <laughs> yeah, it's an, yeah, we're <laughs> yeah. doing a podcast here, right? But it's, uh, yeah, dude, I think, I think the important thing is, is um, like you said, uh, you know, I, I, I also watched Mr. Monterio on, on Twitter and, um, you know, there's like all the polarization going on and, you know, opinions flying around. I think what, what, what makes things very difficult for me and maybe it is, you know, like, dude, I don't want to sit here and, and sound like, Hey, I'm the South African freedom, freedom fighter. By all means, I'm not, dude. Like if it wasn't for people like, um, the example that I wish I was, dude, I wish I was out in the streets fighting for equality, equality and all these things. I mean, I know now, but, um, you know, if it wasn't for people like Johnny Glegg and, and, and Dela, and there's many others, dude, um, on, on many sides, um, I hate the word sides, but, um, who kind of drove this idea and, and brought this, this forth. Um, but what, what makes it difficult for me sometimes is, I mean, I, I spoke to someone else recently about this whole topic and I actually, actually we had an offline yeah. conversation about this where you and me were talking about, you know, uh, understanding people from other cultures, right? Racial alignment, sexual alignments. And we kind of came to this conclusion that it is much tougher for the minority in quotes because they are actually the people who have to reach yeah. out with a hand of friendship. Um, you know, and, and I spoke to a female friend the other day and, and, and she said to me, yeah, Vanna, we have it so great. And I'm going like, well, I actually <laughs> have it better than you. <laughs> and for you, it's much tougher because I think the, the, the thing is that we need to keep in mind is that like Jonathan, for yourself, you need to go out in the community that don't know you. You need to be the person reaching out. Because we just used to the way we do things. Um, and this is something that, I mean, I had a, a female friend once like really um, not being very happy with me when I said that because they like, where do I stand and all these things? And I, I went like, it's a really difficult topic for me because I really need to reflect on it a little bit. You know, of course, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm all for equality and um, like accepting everybody for who they are. But sometimes I feel like I'm not really qualified to speak about it because I come from a background of privilege and can I really understand, you know, can I really be that person that can speak for you? Or, you know, like even saying that, I don't feel comfortable because I don't want to speak for you. I want to allow you the, the room to yeah, speak that, for yourself. That's the exact difference between being sympathetic to issues so, and being empathizing. Trying to be the hero who saves a damsel in distress. That's exactly. not what you want I to mean, be. The story of the Caribbean and the story of, uh, I mean, a big part of the story of Africa is having those, you know, saviors coming in, trying to save, but they don't understand the issues. They don't understand the core of the issues. They didn't do their research. 
they just feel, oh, I solved that issue in that context. So that should be the same for you. And then failures upon failures, because we fail to understand the core of the issues. We were just seeing symptoms, not the disease. And then they try to do to fix symptoms yeah. with their understanding from their own background, which is different from yours and which might not work. So it's kind of like trying to, you know, use, I don't know, aspirin to, to fix a stomach issue. It's aspirin is going to fix some issues, but not that one specifically. And then when it doesn't work, you're like, oh, what happened? Shock Pikachu. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Like what you just said to me about the whole being the, the savior thing, like also makes me think was like when I log into Twitter, I mean, my, my Twitter feed is on fire <laughs> with saviors everywhere. I, I still think about what happened in South Africa. I think, you know, um, so when we came out of apartheid, I mean, I mean, I wasn't in that group at least, but uh, we had a whole bunch of whiteies um, kind of like, okay, democracy is going to hit, we're going to have elections. So now we have to stockp stockpile firearms, food and water <laughs> because, uh, you know, other people are going to take over and shit's going to fall mm. apart. And that never happened, of course. But I think the, 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 the point I made is like, what, 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 didn't, what caused South Africa not to go up in flames? And I think, um, you know, there was from both sides, there were a willingness to connect and, not, and forget about the idea of sides. But I mean, uh, Mandela himself was like, shit, if, if, if we don't forgive and move forward, like we are going to have a problem. And, I, and, and when I spoke to someone else recently, I think one of the key things we had is we had this commission, yeah. this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, and I think it was quite unique for South Africa back then. And I think we discussed it. I think they used it in Rwanda too, is that it's kind of a forum, right? It's not a witch hunt necessarily. I mean, of course, if you, if you, if you create, like if you were guilty of like serious atrocities, uh, you know, a rule of law would apply to you. But it was a forum that was created where people could come forward and tell their stories and stories from, from all perspectives. So uh, when it happened in South Africa, we had freedom yeah. fighters who planted bombs, right? come and tell their story. We had um, security police who used to kind of chase people down and, and enforce the law, come and tell their stories. And then in the, in, in, I mean, in the, mm. this wasn't easy shit, dude. like let's be real. But um, I think the fact that, that there was space created for people to tell stories and then for people to hear those stories and react to that and, and trying to build understanding. And then there was, there, was, there was elements of forgiveness happening. Of course, not everywhere because <laughs> some people, you know, had to face um, uh, the law, but I think that that yeah, played a huge role. Such a good case. I mean, uh, this is pretty unique in history, at least to uh, up to my knowledge. Something similar happened later in Rwanda, and for everybody that listened to us, I really recommend you to read about um, South Africa unification and what happened in Rwanda. Because basically they created those Sunday forum, forums, exactly the same model, where all the villages will meet and they will just, you know, forgive. So somebody will go on stage. I mean, I, I, I read about it. I saw a documentary about it and it still feels so unreal. And you have those guys going on stage saying, okay, I murdered your wife, your children. I was caught into that wave of aid. Um, I don't know what I can do to amend um, all that pay, all, 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 you know, the consequences of my actions. 
and you have those people on the other side saying we need we need to f- where would we go from here do we hate each other forever or do we continue that cycle of hate we need to break it at one point so you have those people coming in and saying okay you killed my family but let's be friends and this is man i mean this is one of the most this is unique this is unique because we are now as you say we are now polarizing social media created even deeper polarization and on the other side you have yeah. you know folks in africa that had nothing else i mean they have their family and that's it and they decided okay it, it was like 24 years ago 24 years ago and they decided okay let's let's be friends and let's forgive ourselves who understand the pack mentality so they had i mean probably people in Rwanda are the most educated in psychology in all africa at this point <laughs> uh, because they had a lot of people coming in and explaining what happened what is the pack mentality what he, what how, how do we behave this way when we are in tupac how do we do those things and we are like i'm not this kind of person why did i do that i i read similar articles about what happened uh with germany's nazis the same issue like good families good people and they are like yeah but everybody was part of vss so i thought it was the right thing that's my context i i didn't think i was a bad person for me i wasn't one of the baddies you see what i mean and so they explained that they took the time and now 24 years later check top five country in terms of growth in africa Rwanda. this is this story is extraordinary we turn a whole horrible situation of genocide and they became one of the top country in africa in terms of technology in terms of startup they do machine they have one of the leading center of machine learning in rwanda dude how how cool is that yeah <laughs> yeah i mean v- those people that basically yeah created those forums and managed them i mean we we they should, they should be the one we go to workshop about empathy to. You know, we shouldn't go to all those, you know, design leaders on Twitter or whatsoever. We should go to those guys because the issues that they, they solved were, I mean, beyond anything we will ever face in our career. Let's be serious there. Man, dude, it's like, yeah. But it, like, you went <laughs> way deeper, Blo- man. Block thinking come from this we- time. <laughs> stays for the emotions <laughs> <laughs> crazy man i mean people um who've been listening and sticking with us throughout the last few episodes would have noticed that we've shifted things a little bit we we really want to want to use this platform more about sharing our, our personal experiences and maybe it resonates with someone out there and this this week i want to talk a little bit about a tool that i developed a little while ago and uh, i want to share it with, with you guys um so the tool is, is around the idea of bootstrapping I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of bootstrapping. Uh, I mean, I know bootstrapping the tech environment. You see what I mean? You bootstrap, we start from, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like a little piece of software that fires your operating system. Or when you create a tech tech startup and you decide, okay, we are going to bootstrap it, which means that we are not going to take no funds from anything else. We are just going to put our labels our label so it's uh, um, on that project and once we have something an mvp from that bootstrap then we are going to get vc money or anything yeah this is this is the meaning of bootstrapping for me yeah the idea of bootstrapping a business is like you're starting something up 
or creating an entity. And it might be like if you're working in the corporation, you're starting a little side business, whatever. And usually what happens uh, in those environments is that when you're not investing heavily, so you're not going out to like loan billions of zlotties from the bank, you're really like starting this thing up and trying to make it gain momentum without over-investing, right? And you want it to kind of like feed itself and then grow from that perspective. That's really what I understand is like bootstrapping a business. So in a way, what we are currently doing is not strictly um, bootstrapping because I think what we've done is we've kind of dropped into the world of yeah. freelancing, like it or not, freelancing slash consulting, right? So we're selling, we're selling our hours and bootstrapping is still the idea of like trying to make money while you sleep, but you're, you're finding ways where you don't have to overinvest because also what's great about bootstrapping is that if it fails, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Yeah. You, know, you haven't lost your house, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and the reason I, 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 I kind of got drawn to this idea of bootstrapping is that um, I fell into this thing called the Bootstrappers Workshop from Seth Godin. And that's where I thought, man, this would make sense to actually do this whole bootstrapping thing. I'm just going on my own now. Let's jump into this workshop. And the workshop is really about like doing uh, and creating because a lot of people actually during the course of, the, of this workshop actually started their own businesses. And the idea is, is that it's like really like starting something up, see if it works, see if you can gain momentum. And then if it doesn't work, like go on to the next idea. So, and it sounds kind of familiar, right? Mm. This is, this yep. is uh, <laughs> I don't know if you, if you find any, uh, <laughs> this is what we do, right? Exactly, dude. And, and what I wanted to share with you is, um, through the process of going through the workshop, I took a lot of learnings that I, I that I had from learning what this whole idea of bootstrapping a business is. And I combine it with um, what we do as designers, Jono. Mm -hmm. um, that's why like a lot of these things are going to be very familiar. And I combined the two together and I created this little tool that I actually used in the workshop to design some of the things that I did there. And I thought, okay, boom, let me share it out. You would probably have a link. So if you're on your computer, you can click on it and you will have that canvas on your desktop and you will understand better. So let's go step by step. So to, so to, to describe really quickly how, how does the, the, the canvas works, it's actually, it's actually a diag not diagram, infographic. This is how we call that? It's a diagram divided into three parts. Yes. Uh, and the thing is, the idea is for you to then map this di diagram out. It's actually quite hard to explain as doing a podcast. Right? So you have to go down. <laughs> Thing. But you'll you'll see that it pops up. But let me let me talk you through the premise because I think also what is yeah. important is the premise of what how this thing works is that you have the three elements, right? So first of all, the, the first element that you start building up is your niche audience. Cool. I mean, when you read Seth Godin's work and you, and you look at you know what he does around audience and what he speaks about, it, because he just wrote a book recently called This Is Marketing, yeah. and what you'll notice there is that he talks about. Uh, niche audience. I actually, in the canvas, I call it my minimal viable audience. And what is important, especially when you create a bootstrap business, is that you, you don't want to go out and find a new audience or a new customer base. If you want to do a successful bootstrap, especially initially, you want to you be able to identify and serve generously people that you already know. And like when I was doing this workshop, I'm like, shit, I don't know people. Like, who do I know? My mom? <laughs> Jono. <laughs> but then like funny enough, like um, during the course of this, I realized, hey, shit, I, I, I kind of know when I'm starting to know the Polish design community. And, uh, you know, like, and the idea is just to zoom in and hone and tighten up that audience as, as much as you can. Like really, uh, you know, like dude, for example, I mean, I can't speak for you, but let's say like the fact that you're French speaking, 
um, you're in Central Europe and you start thinking about, okay, cool, you know, like who do I know? Who's in my vicinity? That is the niche yeah. audience. I'm will it drill about. down into a specific persona, basically? Exactly. Then on the other side of the canvas, I have what I call um, the, uh, and that's ultimately the asset, the asset I'm trying to build, mm. right? So what am I trying to build here? Like, uh, you know, it, it, how do, what does this business look like? And also the reason I, I made it a separate entity is that um, sometimes we forget that, that we want to solve a problem, like when you use a design thinking or whatever, you want to solve a problem yeah. or come up with a new idea, but you need to keep in, in, in mind that you need to evolve that asset. That thing that solves the problem needs to grow, needs to change, needs to evolve, needs to, you know, kind of adjust to the environment because people are going to copy you. Um, you know, how you do you protect against that? Um, someone might in like, there might be a competitor in the market. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, you're not designing in a vacuum and you need to take into account everything around in the environment. Yeah. Third part I added is, um, is what is the story you are telling the audience? Mm-hmm. The story is really like kind of starting to tap into the idea of how do you market this to people? And the story is not really about like some bullshit you're feeding people. Like if imagine you have this future customer and they talk to someone else, how are you helping them to tell their story. Okay. You need to think about how your solution fits into the narrative and the stories that they are telling other people. Okay. Because that's how your business is going to grow, right? Yeah. But then also it kind of forces you to think about your customer rather than yourself. No, that's that's excellent because this will also force you to basically to have the pitch for what you're building. So you're not building exactly. something that is going to solve your own what you think is an issue for you, but you're going to put yourself as your customer, even if your customer is yourself. And okay, what's my pitch? Oh, I'm going to solve that. Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. I want to deep dive the three elements of this canvas, right? So first of all, I mean, going through step by step um, on the left-hand side, there's this uh, whole idea of minimal viable audience, right? And the way that the bootstrapping works is that it's not necessarily... I mean, you should do research, but the thing is you need to go out and, and, and from your personal perspective, which might sound contradictory, what we usually talk about from a design perspective, you need, like I mentioned, to identify the people that you can serve. So maybe you belong to a certain community when you do sport or, um, I mean, I always used to talk about my little paintball website that I had for a long time in South Africa. I really had a very, very niche audience that I could serve and I had them, right? I, I was part of that audience and that community. And then the, then the second thing that you need to do, and this is where I think as designers, because when I was doing this workshop, um, I felt like I had a bit of an angle on the people participating with me is that, you know, what are, what are the problems, do, what problems do they have? I mean, it's like a, like a big chunk of my canvas is really around that. It's like trying to develop empathy around walking in their shoes, doing research, doing interviews, going out to talk to that audience to figure out like, where do they actually have issues? Yeah. Okay. So you have an audience, you have the problems you want to solve for them. Then it's trust and attention. Do I actually have access to them? Will they listen to me? And then the big thing here is, do they trust you? Yeah. The, the, the cameras really, or the tool really wants you to kind of unpack that. It's like, why do you say you have that trust? And then the other thing that you want to do, um, and this is really to kind of temper this business you want to build is like, why do you have a head start? You uh, know, like, yeah. Okay. Why do you have a, have an angle to talk or to serve this audience above someone else? You know, the idea is to actually go out and really interrogate those questions. You know, also the other flip side of that question is, do they deserve your effort? I mean, I had a friend recently that uh, went out to do some work with a group of people and they completely trashed 
what she was doing. Okay. When we analyzed it afterwards, it's like she actually identified the wrong audience because this audience didn't really appreciate what she was doing whilst there's other people who really wanted to work with her. Because that's the thing, you want to work with people who want to work with you. Very good point. <laughs> that's basically, all of that makes the first point. And with that, I will have defined my minimum viable audience. So what's your, I'm going to try to summarize. I'm going to define a target, but instead of standard, you know, use the research when I have my multiple personas and things, it's like I'm going to select almost one guy. And I'm going to say that person who is... This age, I'm going to do a product for that exact person. I'm going to make sure that that person will like my product, will, and I will solve a problem, a real problem that they have. So you need to have both because they can like your product, but it doesn't solve any problem that they really have. So we need to, we need to match both. Exactly. Yeah. And I just want to underpin once again is that what makes this interesting is that. Yes, you do look at the specific audience you want to talk to, which is kind of contradictory to what we do sometimes. What is also important is that you have to introspect and look at yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have to interrogate, you know, why do they trust me? Why do I have a head start? You think, think about that outside the context of your potential product. In this, in this space, uh -huh. because for example, when I was doing this workshop, I had no cooking clue what I wanted to do for people. No fucking <laughs> idea. If you know that, I mean, at least do the, like, so for example, me and you, I know you're my mates, right? So if I have a, a, people like you who are as a community that I could serve, right? I could go, okay, cool. Like, I know I can talk to Jonathan. I can phone Jonathan anytime, which I do, right? I can tweet you at the second and get a response, right? But now imagine if I can find something that I can do for Jonathan, you know, where I can do better than anybody else. So I can serve Jonathan's need. But first of all, now, this is where our research comes in is that, okay, cool. Now I need to research Jonathan. Or people like Jonathan. True. Going to the next part of the canvas is, is that um, I have this thing is like, what value are you creating? Yeah. Right. And uh, very much like if you look at our design tools, it's like kind of the how might we part of it. The only thing that I did is I went, because it's so personal, so bootstrappy, it's like I changed it to HMI. It's like, how might I? And the best way I can explain it, dude, because this is a tricky one, is that what you tend to do there, and I felt, and kind of why I created this thing is like, the first thing you want to do is you want to fill that gap or that value with a solution, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, and the best way, uh, I struggle to always come with, with examples here is that, um, and this also taps into the whole narrative idea is that, so Jonathan, let's say I want to make a product for you and do something for you, right? Ultimately, I don't want you to say like, Vanna has just sold me a great piece of software. I want to say Van has just saved me a shitload of money and a shitload of time. Exactly. Yeah. That is what I want, right? And that is what you want to do with bootstrapping. And that is the value that you want to try and identify. It, it, it's such a good point. We, I mean, it's something that I discovered probably more since I have a freelance. When you work for agencies and when you work for big corporations, you think in terms of product, you know, you have missions, you need to fix a product and that's the product. But when you're pitching as a freelance, I mean, they don't really care about your product. When you pitch, you need to say you need to say to your clients, okay, if I do that design process, you're going to save one month, which translates to this amount of money. If I do that prototype using this tool instead of something else, you're going to save that amount of money and that time. And this is something that we don't we don't learn first of all via uh, the stand, I mean standard. I, I didn't do any training in design that taught me anything about, you know, 
the value I'm providing. This is something that you learn. You learn the value in terms of the human value, but not the financial, the hard cash equivalent value that business people care for. They don't really care about the fact that you're going <laughs> to help. <laughs> and it's funny, like, I mean, like getting really practical now, like this, this whole idea of how might we, right? Um, and it's an old tool, man. I, I actually sometimes get annoyed with that tool. Um, as probably many people are getting annoyed with me trying to shove another canvas down their throat, <laughs> right? But the thing is, um, I find that when I did this exercise specifically here and I started thinking about what is the value I'm trying to create, it just like really opens up the ideation space. So for example, let's, let's say I'm trying to sell you my consulting services. Is that why would you want to buy it? Is that, okay, cool. I'm going to save you money because I'm going to be way cheaper than like a big firm. I'm going to save you time because I have experience and I can build it. But the thing is, I'm going to make you look like a freaking legend because I'm going to empower you to speak and sound like a corporate fuck pony. Right? So, <laughs> so, and the thing is, how I am going to do that, that is still up for grabs, right? But that is the value that I'm going to create. And I, and I think like, shit, okay, cool. I just sold you this, right? So I, the value. I need to think about how hell am I going to do that? This is online training. Am I going to go like straight and work with you and sit in your office, work with you? Is it, is it a mastermind group? You know, you see, yeah. you can go very broad with this. And that brings me to the next part of my damn canvas. And that's the idea, idea space. And basically what that is about is that I've spoken about um, value. And then earlier I spoke about the problems they have, Yeah. right? So you, you kind of want to fill the gap between the value you want to create and solving problems. The, and this part of the, the, the game is like really going crazy and trying to figure out like as many ideas as you can on how you can solve those, right? Because it, like in each, each one of those in their own right could become like a little piece of, of, of business or you can cluster them together and make one offering. But then it brings me into the, the second part of the canvas where it's like really like starting to look at, you know, the bootstrap part of this, of this idea of this business, right? So, so now we have a whole bunch of ideas slots together. Now, here's a bit of theory for you, dude, because this might be a bit confusing for people is that um, because this is really like um, built around the idea of bootstrapping, right? starting something from scratch. Um, if you if you deep dive into the world of bootstrapping businesses, there's a whole lot of different ways that you can actually create bootstrap businesses. There's categories of these businesses. Now, when I attended uh, Seth Godin's um, workshop, he kind of alluded to a few of them that are really important. I incorporated those into my tool, but I'll, I'll quickly take you through yeah. it, and I think it'll start making sense to you and why they are kind of more for people like you and me who want to start something on the side. Um, so for example, you have a jobber. That's a specific bootstrapping approach where you can do a task for someone, right? And it's not necessarily, it's like bring the right product to the right people at the right time. No. Like you just have this ability to fill a gap where someone's got a need, yeah. you come in, you can solve it, right? It's someone who gets, gets the job done. Then the other, other way that you can do business is by being a coordinator. Coordinators are um, people who connect customers with the right services or labor. So, and, and you find that a lot in the consulting world. It's like, okay, cool, Jonathan, you want to build a flipping serious piece of software? I have the people who can fill that gap for you. 
I mean, and when I start thinking like that, it's like, so for example, if I wanted to start building a mobile application or I know of a mate who wants to build a mobile application. And in fact, this has happened to me before. I have so many contacts here in the Polish startup scene that I'm really like, I'm able to connect you. They trust me. So inevitably they trust the people that I'm connecting with. The only thing that I haven't done is actually monetize that, mm-hmm. right? So, and people do that. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that before. And then there are other people, um, organizers. Um, so you have the coordinators and then you have the organizers. And the organizers are people who just bring the right people into your room. Yeah. You can create a collective of people and, and bring them together and then create a, create a unique solution. So that is like, that is the organizer. And then the last one that's also interesting is asset owners. Okay. So this is someone like who owns something. So let's say this is like a really basic example. You, uh, you own, own a 3D printer. Yeah. That's an asset. Oh, good job. But I mean, yep. a steel can also be an asset, right? So you invest in buying something or you own something. I guess it's- so what you do is you try and kind of measure your solution against these categories. Um, I've also added other because there's other categories too, but these are like the, the four main ones that I found that popped up all the time. And then the next thing that you need to do is to look at the skills and resources required. You know, you can get shit done on Fiverr these days for next to nothing. Yep. You can you can import stuff from from China, or you can get. I mean, I had mates in South Africa who would go to Taiwan or China and get shit made there because you don't have to own a factory these days to make stuff. Mm. You just need to find a factory to serve you. So, this part of the whole bootstrapping canvas or that this idea is just like, what do I need to get the job done? Right. So it might be people, connections. You know, do I need courier services? How do I get, how do I fill all the practical stuff of this, 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 uh, this business? And then the last part of the business side of it is really like the business elements of the canvas. And I, 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 I didn't want to like rebuild the business model canvas. I think the business model canvas is something that you do afterwards, this whole methodology to really test the, the viability of the business, but you have to start thinking about it. So um, when you have your little bootstrap ready and you start thinking about, first of all, how profitable is this damn thing? Mm. <laughs> yeah. We come up with ideas and we want to push it in the market to run prototypes, pivot and whatever. But you need to think about, is this thing actually profitable in the future? Is it going to make me money? Because remember, you don't, you're, not, you're not learning money from the bank here. The money that you earn is going to feed the business and make it grow. Yeah. So you need to make sure you're profitable from the get-go at least. Then the second element to keep in mind is like, how predictable is this damn thing? Because if you create this business and you want to push this idea in the market, how easy is it for someone else to copy you yeah. or maybe even undercut you? Like, like maybe someone has got stronger relationships and they can actually like undercut you. How protectable is it? And then um, the other one here is priming is that really thinking about how fast you can actually gain momentum, you know, like how fast. Gain traction, yeah. I think it's things like, you know, like in old days we had chokes on cars, right? When it's winter, you had to stand out there and try and get this damn thing to fire up. Like how much work do you need to do to get this business to fire up properly? And then finally, dude, um, is it adjustable? And this comes back to some of the, the, you know, the startup stuff that we speak about is that if you do the first iteration of this business and you need to pivot, how hard is that going to be? That might be the most difficult one to do though, because basically you need to plan for the next step where you don't, yeah, don't see, yeah. And inevitably, right. And I'm not saying like a bootstrap business is not something that you don't invest in at all, but let's say I, I, my first, my first iteration of the business 
um, is that I need I require courier service. And I give an example of something that I worked on during the course, but and I use the canvas on. I'll actually share the canvas of that. But um, let's say I need to get a courier service, but that courier service wants me to sign a one-year contract. Yeah. Right. So that's something I need to think about because, you know, I'm going to lock myself. Yeah, there is, there is opportunity cost, definitely. Yeah. What is, how adjustable is that? And then the last part of this is like the story that you're telling them. Mm-hmm. And that story, in my opinion, is also very closely aligned with the value that you're creating. So, um, I mean, we've done some work around some other stuff that we'll talk in the podcast uh, and maybe in the following episode, but how are you making this person the hero of their own story? Right. How is your service? How's that value being articulated for them? Right. So you need to think about that story that you're telling. And then around the story, I have a f- one of two elements that I found will help you tell the story and leverage the story. And that's just two easy elements. So the first one there, which might be a little bit complicated, is tension and status. I mean, in a simple form, tension and status is that you understand the tension that the, the potential customer is under. Uh-huh. Like, uh, I understand that, jo- that Jonathan wants to do this big project with this big corporation and they want, they want him to do it, but he's like stressing that he, he's unable to do it. I mean... That's not really you, <laughs> but, but then I can relieve that tension, for example, but then also I can create status, right? Mm-hmm. So if I do my job properly, you'll be Jonathan, the corporate design guy. Gotcha. But what's interesting when you start thinking about tension and status is that you can actually play them off against each other. So when you start deep diving, like really the strategy around your business is that how can you create status with someone else and then create tension with someone that is also a potential customer. So this is a really stupid example, but it works crazy. Is that back in the day when I started up my little website, um, it's like a little e-commerce platform, whatever. I went out to uh, one of the top South African teams, yeah. right? Sports teams. And I said to my dudes, like, I'm going to do some shit for you guys, right? All I want you guys to do is like, I am your sponsor, carry my logo on your, on your, uh, on your jerseys uh, and give me content. And then I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. Because, I mean, they didn't have a website back then or whatever, and they were looking for more sponsors. So it was like a match made in heaven. But we, we, we had a specific clause where we, we, we slotted all these things down. And then what it actually did on the long run, it created tension with other teams. So their competitors were going like, hey, we also want that. Hey. Like, why aren't we getting that? Nice. Like, how do we get in there? And that is how I actually started building up because – I mean, you make deals with different people and I'm not saying being underhanded, but you, you're playing off this whole idea. Like I am not on the list. Um, a stupid other example is like I, I built a directory of venues where people could go play the sport. And uh, when people were added to the directory, other people saw that they weren't in there. And it's funny how human beings like want to slot into. So that's the whole idea of like playing around with tension and status, which I think is super powerful. No, that's, that's really cool. I, uh, I didn't think about that initially, but having it integrated in, in, the, in the canvas, thinking about how do you create those elements, it's very interesting. Yeah, because it helps you like along the way. Because I think sometimes, and we spoke about it before, is like the whole idea of your marketing elements mm. like underplayed. Yeah. Like. And then finally, dude, um, the, the last part that I, um, that I added in um, for you to start thinking about when you start doing this bootstrapping thing is that like, how will you find them? And, you know, you can take it as basic as like, 
um, you know, what channels do you have? So, uh, you know, do you, uh, is it easy for you to speak to these guys via email? Is, are they Instagram people? Do I need to go to conferences? You know, when you start doing your, I mean, we just spoke before we started recording about the importance of creating content, but you need to understand like how, how, how will your content find them? You know, how, how are you going to be able to connect with them or how will they then find you in return? Right. So, uh, you have to kind of map that out a little bit and start thinking about it. But I mean, that is kind of it, dude. And I would love for people to go and grab it. We'll, we'll put the link and hopefully it's useful. Um, uh, you know, the idea is also to create a few of these. So as you go through your ideas, you like create one for, for each of your, for, for each of your audiences. I don't know if we should talk about that directly in podcast, but we're talking about doing a yeah. workshop together. I think this is what we should do. So an exclusivity for block thinking. <laughs> Soon <laughs> we will organize yeah. a workshop around the bootstrap design canvas. Uh, we need to figure this out, but uh, I love it. We went for a bunch yeah. of canvas lately. So aside of the podcast, we do work together. We do, uh, yeah. we, we help each other and we, we want our ideas and all of that. And we went for a bunch of canvas between uh, between before we worked on the business uh, business canvas and lately on the storyboard one so amazing one exactly uh, yeah. so this one is totally legit so there are some modifications i would suggest offline but i yeah. i think we are i mean i will i will gladly assist you pointing that man I, that's a good like it's happening right here now like let's do it man um, and also like, I'd love for people to check it out because I know a lot of our mates listening to this are also people who start things up. Right. And the, the reason I created this tool is like, it's not a recipe. Like I hate recipes, but I, I just, I created it because I wanted to find somewhere where I could just collect my ideas. And like I mentioned, I, I popped it into mural, but you can print it out and stick it in the wall. You, you can just draw it out. Um, it just structures things a bit better because else you just walk around with these ideas. Also, the, the reason I put this thing together, and, and this is what we can discuss to maybe like hone it down a little bit, is that I was hoping that each part of the canvas is like a doorway into something else, right? So it's either um, to more research or, for example, I mean, I didn't want to recreate the business model canvas or yeah. the, the mapping canvas, but it kind of just hopefully helps you think about where do I need to bring these things into my little idea. I mean, this is... This is this is an attempt at solving an issue that all of us creative and non-creative actually have. I have that idea. I want to do it. I'm putting in my OmniFocus uh, Todoist, whatever tool I'm using. I'm putting a reminder. Oh, I need to check on that idea in one month from now with lifetime. And then it disappears there because we don't know what the next step is. We are like, okay, what should I do now? You feel overwhelmed. You don't have a plan. And because most plans like, like this one are made for corporations, are made for companies who have structure, who have, and now you created something that scale at one, for one individual. You can plan all of it, create, I'm, I'm going to have your checkpoints and everything. So you can, okay, I need to do that. I need to do that. What is my canvas? So you're giving a one-stop shop for some, somebody to at least plan their, their idea. And not even I love it. There is some kind of detailed stuff. No, I, I love it. I love it. I really love it. <laughs> yeah, dude. So, I mean, that is it. I mean, that is, uh, I spoke way too much today. No, I, I mean, it, it was, I think it's worth it. I think it's I, a bunch. 
I do believe that people listening to us also listen to us not only because I mean we have the proof we are we have uh, we have a fan uh, you you know you are always visiting our episodes the thing is that he's not a designer and he still listens to us because he's an entrepreneur and he likes to listen to other entrepreneurs doing yeah. things and there is value for him here I see him using this tool i hope so or even just giving us feedback to see see like because i'm sure it can develop out a little bit more i mean even during the the, the course of the of the of this workshop developing developing this tool i mean it went through a process of iterations right to get it to where it is now yeah i mean i love it i'm really i'm really enthusiastic about the whole idea um thanks mate yeah it's it's uh it's something that i see extremely useful because I don't believe something like that exists for our, our niche in a way. Next steps is I'm going to pop this thing. I mean, I'll get some feedback from you, pop it onto medium. I think that is my platform, my go-to platform for the, for the time being. And then, uh, let's see what people think and, uh, grab it and grab a copy, tear it apart. If you create something, let us know, because I'd love to see something actually come from this. You know, it's also a good way to, uh, if you have a business already, is to map a current business on top of it. So if, you ha- if you're bootstrapping something, because during my testing phases, I, like there was some of my mates creating stuff, I, I retrofitted their businesses on top of it. So we can wait to hear your feedback about it, about the podcast in general. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll follow through. Um, we already announced that we are going to a new workshop <laughs> or that canvas. Yeah. <laughs> so is that going to happen? So we're going to try and, we're going to try and, we'll, we'll have more detail about that. You and me doing something For together. Real. Yeah. We're going to do that. Even if we do it digitally, we do it. Yeah. I think that's a great challenge to, to, to have. Like let's, let's, let's collaborate on something interesting and put it together and if it resonates with anybody. Nice. Okay. So before we dash off, right? Like we also made a promise to each other that we're going to talk about what we're reading. So what are you currently reading, my friend? So it seems that what we are currently reading. So <laughs> I haven't started yet. <laughs> yeah. So next time we'll share feedback about a book published in 2014 from um, the very, let's say, opinionated person that is Peter Phil. And that book is called Zero to One. Uh, I do believe that there is a lot of learnings in that book. Um, you need to take it for what it is. And this is what we are going to talk about next time. And over the weeks, obviously. Well, it might not be completely the next, next show, but like in the next show or two, because I'm slow. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you kind of switched me on to this book. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like you said, you might not agree with everything that this guy is talking about, but uh, we heard through Grapevine, it's quite an interesting book to look at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we'll go, we'll win later. I have, I have a lot of opinions about this book and how you should um, take this book into account. It's not, it's a book to take in context. And we are going to talk about that context. Brilliant. Jono, we've gone on for way too long, my man. Um, from Johnny Gleck through solving all the political problems in the world, then going to a bootstrap canvas and then talking about um, reading more. But uh, yeah, so um, there will be a link to my, or just find me on Medium to this, uh, where you can grab the canvas, listen to the show. You can find myself and Jonathan on Twitter, yeah. Jonathan Gull and Van der Puchert, your hosts. And yeah, um, let us know what you think of our new format. Two idiots talking way too long and hanging out. So. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Block Thinking. You can find more information and the show notes for this episode at www.blockthinking.com. That is blockthinking without the K. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast platforms. We thrive on critique, so feel free to leave comments on iTunes or get hold of us directly.